0: Social worker with Presbyterian Health Plan, and I work in the emergency department with Dr. Martin and also my colleague Stephanie Crosser, who's here. And I've done this presentation to um, emergency medical responders. I actually am a DBT therapist, so I teach this on a weekly basis to many of the clients in our groups. And these are also emotion regulation strategies that myself and many of our my colleagues use because the thing about it is, is that we are constantly um, exposed to traumatic events, traumatic stories, uh, traumatic interactions with patients, and it does bring up a lot of emotion. And so I'm really just starting, I'm going to go through some of this rather quickly so we can get really to the meat of it, which is the strategies So um, as complex as the brain is, and I absolutely do not present myself as an expert on the brain, some certain basics are really important because emotion regulation strategies do a lot to help us with our impulse control, our ability to regulate, and our self-regulation habits, which is all in the prefrontal cortex. Also, in order to really tease out what's going on and what we need to get through stressful and traumatic situations, we have to be able to make um, rational decisions, be able to reason, and access our self-control capabilities. That's all in the frontal lobe. And then we have the limbic system, which is sometimes considered the uh, primitive part of our brain. And that's where emotional processing and memory activation happens. And a lot of memories are evoked by emotions. And these are all things that happen in a split second. What I find really interesting is emotion comes from the Latin word to move. And I think that's a really important thing to understand because emotions are not only inward but they're very much outward. They come across verbally, physically, and in a sensory way, and they communicate. They communicate to us and they also communicate to other people. Internally we have sensory responses, and externally we have facial body expressions. And all of this can be messy. It can be complicated. Sometimes it can feel primitive and out of control. But the thing about it is, and this is what I teach a lot when I'm teaching my groups, is that emotions are absolutely necessary. They are data points. They give us a tremendous amount of information if we are willing to be aware of them and if we're willing to approach them. Um, Also, emotions are a full body response. We have cognitive and physical reactions to events Um, Cognitively, we we assess, we have bodily responses, we have emotions, we have internal sensations, we have urges, and those are usually congruent with our emotions, and then we act. And that's where the emotion regulation strategies come in. As you can see here, we have behavior, we have affect, and we have cognition. It's a loop, it's not just a one-way street. Our behavior impacts our affect, which impacts the way that we think. It can also work the other way. Our thoughts start to become rapid. They start to become ruminant. They start to become congruent with the emotion. It starts to show in our affect and then our behavior As always, Can you explain more about what what is affect? Affect is what you say, how you present to other people. And so some of the affect responses um, in addition to being closed in, is um, we can also have broader thinking. We can be creative. We can be curious. We can be flexible. We can be innovative, and that comes across with a very open body, a very willingness to see the situation and bring in information. Um, the negative um, responses can be we're very myopic and narrow-minded, or overly solution-focused, so we don't bring in new information. Have very narrow attention. Um, Trauma can be a one-time event, multiple events without any connection, or it can be repetitive events, um, and stress over time. um, One stressful event over another can just create an overall sense of being traumatized. And the impact of trauma can be subtle, it can be insidious, it can be destructive. It's not something that just comes on us something that um, starts to impact us over time. There's a lot of things that impact um, how we deal with trauma. It has a lot to do with who we are as individuals. What is our individual biology? What did we learn from our environment? Did our environment help us manage ourselves and teach us self-control? Or did we live in an environment that just sort of pushed all of that aside? What kind of trauma are we experiencing? Once again, single, multiple, or repetitive. And also, where, where are we developmentally? What's our age? What's our intellectual capacity? And also, what kind of meaning do we give to it? Do we attend to it, or do we push it onto the process? So coping with trauma is once again dependent upon our individual history and experiences, the access and all of our natural support systems, a lot of coping skills, and also most importantly do we have an awareness of our emotions and a willingness to approach them and learn to regulate them. Um, there's also potential for significant cognitive changes. When there's too much trauma and not enough attention to our self-care and our regulation strategies, we can make a lot of thinking errors. We can start to feel inappropriate shame or guilt we can start to get really attached to intrusive thoughts and sort of go with whatever urges are associated with them. And we also start to question, probably in an invalidating way, um, the meaning that we give to ourselves, the world that we live in, or our future. And once again, as I said before, coping with all of this is dependent upon who we are as individuals, the quality of our outside support, outside of our work, And quality and the willingness to develop these regulation skills. There's also potential vulnerabilities when it comes to trauma, that unbalanced self-care. We live in a very, very busy world. We have so much that's pulling us in so many different directions. And for many, I mean I see this a lot in the hospital, I see this a lot among um, emergency response people, and also I see it in some of my colleagues that the self-care can be a bit off balance. And one of the things we do in our team is really make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and each other, making sure people are taking vacation. Uh, You have a very difficult case, like the one that Stephanie had. Get up, go outside, go get a drink of water, and you know what? Maybe you can go home. Stephanie takes yoga, go home, take a yoga class. Do something to take care of yourself. Individual history, Also, the certain pathways that our brain takes. When we experience something difficult, what's sort of our habit? How do we deal with it? Emotions start sometimes, and our awareness of them start by just sensing that something is not quite right with us internally. And because life is so quick, we're sometimes unaware of those subtle sensations. Also, we really don't teach formal regulation skills. in schools, in university, unless you're studying to be a therapist. So it's a lack of skills. It's not an unwillingness to have that. Also environmental reinforcements. You know, I work in a hospital. Um, if I have a really, really difficult case in front of me, I can't write down. Yet yeah, I have a wonderful team around me. I do have places where I can go, where I can talk out the case. But if you're in the field, you have to be, you have to be strong, you have to be together. So the environmental reinforcements help us get through the trauma in a moment, yet sometimes it's those reinforcements that prevent us from then doing what we need to do to take care of ourselves afterwards and going forward. Also, depending upon the kind of work you do or the kind of life you have, it's just that continual emotional overwhelm. It's just one thing after another, after another. Sometimes many of the patients I see in the hospital are there because they are emotionally overwhelmed and they just don't know how to handle it. And then sometimes there's set beliefs, there's that thought, those myths. Um, this isn't a big deal. I can get through it. Um, if I admit that it's a problem, I'm weak. So there's certain things that all create vulnerabilities. So There's multiple different types of responses to trauma, the immediate, the emotional ones. There can be a numbness, a sense of helplessness, denial, fear, and also that ability or desire to suppress the emotion. And then later on, a person might experience higher ability, have some mood swings, be very hypervigilant, feel vulnerable, just feel that sense like, I just don't feel right and also just detached from anything that they feel. Cognitively, um, you can have decreased concentration, rumination, rumination is what I call worry without any solution. You start to worry and sometimes worry can lead to a solution. Rumination is off, your mind is off, and the ability to bring your mind back is very important. Sometimes significant trauma can result in a loss of memory, decreased focus, which throws us off our game. And then we have to go back to to what we do every day. We go back feeling just a little less than we are. Delayed flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, being very preoccupied not only with the event, but maybe preoccupation that we felt we didn't handle it well, which could lead sometimes to questionable decision making. Physiologically, um, I, I will tell you I have had probably two traumatic um, situations in the hospital where I have literally gone and vomited afterwards because the uh, physiological response was so high. Um, I have seen it in some of my colleagues, the face gets very red, their internal temperature just goes up. Uh, increased heart rate, blood pressure, you know when you are not breathing um, correctly. and you know walking down the hall and suddenly somebody says hey how are you and you have that startled response and those are your immediate ones. Delayed, or sleep, nightmares, decreased appetite or increase in an appetite, more susceptible to colds, stomach aches, GI issues. Behaviorally, and this is what you can sometimes see other people engaging in, they're restless, they're avoiding, they're avoiding things that they even enjoy, more use of alcohol or drugs, and also maybe just a very blank face, just no interaction with somebody else. And then delay that lasts for a longer time is continued avoidance, significant withdrawal from loved ones and friends, increases of alcohol and drugs, or maybe engagement in risky behaviors, which is always possible. And then we have the existential side to it, especially if it's trauma over time. You know, the the questions like, why? Why is this going on? Um, Feeling desperate, feeling despair towards yourself and just humanity in general, and sort of questioning your own personal value systems or your personal faith um, system if you have one. And then sometimes it can then get worse and become more chronic into a global sense of hopelessness, a total loss of faith, and questioning your meaning and purpose. And all of this builds on each other. So you have the existential, the physical, the emotional, the sensory, the cognitive. And it's quite, it's quite overwhelming. It can be quite painful. We had a comment, Lydia, just a second, so, uh, from one of our members of said it sounds similar to PTSD almost. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. And The reason that I took brain and the trauma is because all of us in this room and the people I work with deal with very, very, very um, distressful events on a regular basis. And yet stress itself, I mean, when you look at some of the emotion regulation strategies, I mean, these are things that you can teach your children. These are things you can share with your loved ones. These are things you can talk to your friends about because they're really universal, but in our line of work, um, it would be great if this would be sort of like when you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, and you go, yeah, I've got my emotion regulation skills to help me through that. So now we get to the mean it. So what is emotion regulation? I like to say that the very first thing is, is that it's a curiosity about emotions in general and what it is that emotions are trying to tell us. Um, When I teach this group, um, and we get to this particular module in the uh, curriculum, and I say, so what are your thoughts? What is an emotion? And usually the response is, emotions exist to make me miserable. And it's like, okay, because that might have been your history with them. Yet what if we turned it around to an emotion is a data point. Emotion provides information. So to develop a curiosity about what it is that we're feeling. And then seek some sort of balance and look at emotions as something that can not only cause us to maybe lose something, but also reward us. Um, Emotions may cause us to feel a threat, but then they can also help us put into place safety precautions. Um, We can pay attention to our internal arousals and learn how to regulate those. Emotion regulation is inhibiting all of those um, emotion-congruent urges that we have. And we have to admit that some of them feel really good. I mean, if you're really angry and you go to the rage room, that's going to make you feel good, but it's also going to increase the anger. Um, Teenagers, when they're sad, they love to listen to sad music. I mean, I used to do a teen group. And, you know, I had a bunch of teens one day who showed up sad. I was like, "Great! I couldn't have planned it better." So I played some reggae music. Oh my gosh! They were like, "I finally understand." Um, find some other music. Find something that can at least let you distract and allow the emotion to decrease a bit. Emotion regulation is also self-organizing yourself, and it is about the self. And everybody has their own ways of regulating their emotions this is a way to develop your own strategies. Emotional regulation is believe it or not refocusing your attention in the midst of something strong. When I teach this I say to people if nobody, if life is in danger you have the right to take care of yourself, distract away, and then come back to the situation that's causing you distress. So Some of the characteristics, it's the ability to understand what it is that we're feeling. And we do that by identifying, by being hopefully non-judgmental as we describe it. You know, what does sad feel like? For some people, it feels heavy. Urge to cry. Um, I feel hot. Instead of saying, sad sucks. Okay, it does suck but let's put some other words on it so we can kind of figure out what it is that we want to do. Most importantly, it's understanding. Every emotion has a function and the ability to understand what is being communicated to us and to others, and then figuring out, how do I want to experience this emotion? And controlling emotions also includes when you have them, how you experience them, and how you express them. Here's just a chart that I use, I even use it, you know, I use it at work with the patients that I see in the hospital. Um, There's some of your primary emotions, there is the function like fear, alert us to danger, we have a choice of avoiding or approaching. Shame uh, lets us know that we violated social norms, we can either hide or we can disclose. If we have the tools to be able to disclose it will reduce shame make it that much better to manage. Envy is when we value something that somebody else has, so we have two choices. We can give in to the urge to take something away from someone, or we can actually see envy as communicating to us, wait a minute, and envy is because I haven't yet reached a goal, and maybe it can be a self motivating So one of the benefits of emotion regulation is that it creates what we call neuroplasticity. It creates new habitual behavior and thought patterns related to our emotions, and it really expands our repertoire. It expands the different ways we can manage our emotions. It impacts our brain's capability to reorganize, it helps our brain relax and regroup, it enhances our executive functioning. Definitely reduces impulsivity and creates more impulse control and it's lifelong. Um, you know, the sooner we teach these to our kids or schools or even with young adults, um, it's something that you can take with you throughout your whole life. So here we start. Some of the basic emotion regulation skills that I'm sure you've heard everybody talk about is mindfulness. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn, is really the father of mindfulness, he is uh, referenced in my bibliography, and he created a whole mindfulness program for chronic pain and stress. Mindfulness sounds very simple and it's, it's kind of difficult because what you're doing is you are refocusing your attention to what's happening in the present moment. It's extremely focused and it's non-judgmental. And as you're doing it, your emotions will rise, your emotions will fall, and you sort of flow with them, and you let the waves come and go, but you stay in the present. A lot of what happens when we're stressed or we've experienced trauma is that we're in the past, or we're projecting that things will only get worse in the future. Mindfulness allows us to be in the present. A very mindful emotion regulation skill is to take just one deep breath and start to identify five things that you see in the room, five things that you hear, Five things you can touch and five things you can smell. Just to be able to regroup and come back to the present moment. And mindfulness has incredible research about all the things that it can do physiologically to just physically help us feel better. It decreases rumination, gets us away from perseveration. It allows us to access the skills that we're going to be introducing. It allows us to be curious because mindfulness is more like, what is going on around me? And the minute you hear what and not why, you start to open doors up to information instead of judgment. And it increases your ability um, to make decisions that will be less, um, less distressful. One of the easiest uh, emotion regulation skills to probably access no matter where you are is the tip skill, you want to change your body temperature. So ice, Um, anywhere you go, convenience store, hospital, um, anywhere you go, uh, those, those, what do you call it, those ice packs that people put in their lunches. Taking an ice pack and putting it around your neck, putting it on your forehead, going into the bathroom, throwing ice cold water on you. This time of year, walking outside and just, oh no, the kind of therapy that I do, clients call me for coaching. And if it's like 30 below, I mean 30 degrees, it's like, please go outside in shorts and a t-shirt and just take a deep breath and feel the cold. And they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, their urges have decreased. It's the ability to just sort of reset like you would reset a computer. The heart rate decreases, yeah. blood's redirected to the brain and heart, you start to think a little clearly. Intense exercise. Anybody know burpees? Yep. Yeah, do, like a, do a bunch of burpees until you break the sweat and then you kind of stand up but like feel a little dizzy. But you might notice that the intensity of the motion has dropped and that's what you're looking for because what you want to be able to do is bring some clarity to the situation. Once you've done those, which are more intense, you might do the paced breathing. Breathing in, counting to five, breathing out six to ten, and being very mindful of the pace of your breathing. It's not a quick one to five, it's not a slow six to ten. It's sort of a very in and out, and you start to notice that pain, heart rate is coming down. Um, feel like your blood pressure is coming down, everything starts to just there's more oxygen in the room. The smoke's out, air is in, you start to see things. And then there's paired muscle relaxation and there's some really wonderful um DVDs, uh, not DVDs anymore, podcasts. John Cabin zinn has one where you can start at the top of your head to your toes or vice versa. And just tense your muscles, you know, in pairs for 10 to 15 seconds and then release and then see how you feel afterwards. It's great to tolerate distress. I use it in meetings. I'm not using it right now, but I do use it in meetings. When there's difficult conversations, I'll start to just do some paired muscle relaxation. I start to go, okay, I'm back in the room. I'm not judging. I can start to think a little more clearly. It also helps really well with sleep. Um, This is what I call the Goldilocks skill, it's called the please skill. If these are out of balance, your emotions are going to start to take over. They're like little ninjas, they start to just sort of creep in and say it's time to take over. If there's any physical illness that's not being attended to, your emotions are going to know and they're going to take over. If you have a cold, if you have the flu, if you've had the stomach Um, If you have a chronic illness that's not being well tended, diabetes, asthma, anything like that, it's going to throw you off. Um, Exercise, too much or too little. Too much, we can send ourselves into chronic pain and then we're not feeling well and everything becomes just that much more difficult to manage. Or no exercise. I mean when you exercise you're releasing brain chemistry that's making you feel a lot better. Interesting thing is, too, if you've had really traumatic events, one of the things that makes us react is that sense of feeling paralyzed. Like, oh my gosh, my body failed me. I didn't see that coming. How could I have not run quicker or faster? Um, when you when you engage in exercise and your body is moving and it's doing things that you want it to do, you see yourself reaching goals. That's um, That's a pretty that's a pretty intense feeling. And then that's something that you carry with you to other aspects of your life. Uh, too much or too much alcohol is going to definitely affect your emotions and mood-altering drugs as well. Uh, sleep seems to be the domino for most people. Too little sleep, poor sleep, restless sleep. And when that's off, once again, more irritability, probably more withdrawal. Maybe fear gets ignited more so than uh, before, so sleep is really important. Um, eating. Too much, too little, or what are you eating? Um, I remember when I was in graduate school, uh, once every six weeks I would clean up my car and I couldn't I couldn't really get over how many fast food bags I had in there. And I was trying to figure out why I was never feeling so great when I was in grad school. Uh, but really, not only attention to what you're eating, but how you're eating. Do you eat on the go? Do you eat standing up? Um, do you taste your food? Once again, this particular skill is very much mindfulness. To be able to see what works for you and what you're doing. I have a comment from the network: uh, Sergeant Lucero of police says combat breathing breathing works. So mm-hmm. Combat breathing is what's taught to police officers when we get into stressful situations where you breathe in for a count of four, you hold. Account for. That would account for absolutely absolutely um, never stop breathing and in stressful situations a lot of people not anybody in this room um, stop breathing and then they're, they really have a very difficult time bringing information in and figuring out how to respond and getting into the habit of doing that type of breathing during the day to just allow yourself those few seconds uh, bringing air in, bringing air out, and focusing on yourself, right that in there, that's a basic emotion regulation skill. The other thing is to use your senses um, to soothe yourself, but not soothe yourself because you're dealing with something distressful. Soothe yourself to treat yourself habitually, compassionately, and gently, so that when you do know that you're going to enter into something that's difficult, you sort of put on a sort of protective veneer. It's like I know how to treat myself well. I know self care. So the ability to just take in sights that are pleasing, um, music or sounds that you like, really creating a self-soothe repertoire that you can pull on um, to just to just um, bring some peace to your brain and also to your body. And movement, I always consider as the sixth sense. Because there's really something about body movement and just watching, taking a mindful look at your body as you're doing yoga or sensing what it's like when you're swimming or you're doing something to go like, wow, look what I'm capable of doing. And it really has a lot to to bulk you up when you're dealing with distressful situations. Um, Accumulating positive events is, first of all, it's one of the things we talk about is reducing the, um, reducing your, your sense of joy and happiness um, and just sort of looking at things around you uh, and making time and space intentionally every day to find something positive. Is it a sunset? Is it a sunrise? Um, I know for me for joy was Sunday having one extra hour before I went to work. I was thrilled. That just carried me through the day. Um, but just intentionally and mindfully. Look around, because it's really important. It's almost like building a little bank account. It's like there can be joyful moments during the day, despite what I'm doing. I'm incredibly lucky. I work with a fabulous group of clinicians. And there is not one day that doesn't go by that we're laughing about something, or somebody has had a really great experience, or something has happened personally in their life, and we can really appreciate it. The most important thing is to intentionally make time and space for it. Building mastery—I think everybody in this room is incredibly masterful. But the thing about it is, is that do you give yourself credit? Um, do you notice one daily thing that you have done that gives you a sense of accomplishment? If you suddenly looked at all of those reports on your desk and it's like, "Yeah, I'm going to hit those reports and I'm going to get them done." Um, choosing things that might be difficult but possible, you're planning for success because when you feel masterful, you feel confident, you feel competent, you feel a sense of calm. It's like, I can tackle this. I have the ability to do it. So the ability to challenge yourself and to claim it is incredibly important. Some people have very, very deep-seated beliefs that they don't deserve to um, feel accomplished. They don't deserve to uh, pat themselves on the back, but when you're dealing with things that are stressful over time, to take that step back and say, yeah I did that, and it was hard, and I did it, is incredibly important. Coping ahead, looking at things that we might encounter that are going to cause us some problems, and planning. Coping ahead is planning. It's planning for what it is that might cause some difficulty. It's figuring out how you want to cope, what it is that you want to do. But the most important thing about it is rehearsing in your head, imagining yourself being successful, what it is you're doing, what you're saying, how you say it, looking at all the multiple outcomes, and then um, bringing in that whole concept of relaxing while we do things. I think emotion regulation is so important because it's really self-compassion and self-care, and it's teaching us that we can get through things without hanging off a cliff by our last ragged fingernail. We can get through something with a whole set of skills um, that will actually teach us a lot more about ourselves when we get to the other side. Um, you have John Kabat-Zinn's book Catastrophe Living. Which is um, pretty much the, um, the Bible for mindfulness. Dr. Linehan, Marshall Linehan, created dialectical behavior therapy, which is where all the emotion regulation skills come from. Um, so, those are just some things you might want to look Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. We have questions from the network.